0: Did y'all miss me? <laughs> y'all know I've been gone, but you know, I, I needed a couple days. I needed a couple days. Did y'all miss me? Did you miss me? I needed a couple days while I am back. And y'all know how I do. I got to start off with a little Wade music. A uh, Thank you to everybody who's tuning in. I know I see you. I don't know who you are. But I do see you, and I do thank you for tuning in. It's all about me today. It's all about me today. I I am releasing. I am doing like Gentry says on her show that she has on here called Gentry's Journey, and I am letting it go, okay? I am releasing, and I am being free of mountains, honey, okay? Because they can't rise without earthquakes. So these earthquakes are going to have to get thee behind me, okay? So we're going to start this thing off with waiting music like I normally do because I got to get my stuff together. I'm asking myself the questions. I'm answering them myself. I'm reading excerpts from my upcoming book, Mountains Can't Rise Without Earthquakes, Memoirs of a Grown Girl, Honey. And I am also reading some poetry that I've written throughout the years and some quite recent. Um, and just delving into my life and what I'm going through now, what I've been through before, what my parents have been through, um, just everything. Y'all going to get the tea, honey, because one thing I am is transparent. And one thing I will not let anybody do is tell my story better than me. OK, so we're going to get to the tea. But first, going to roll with ain't no mountains. High enough, honey. Come on, Diana. Let's bring me in.
1: Just call my name, I'll be there in a hurry, on that you can depend and never worry. have me, and if you should miss my love, one of these old days, if you should ever miss the arms that used to hold you so close, or the lips that used to touch yours so tenderly, just remember what I told you the day I set you free.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Ain't no mountain high enough. Okay. And until I see some people in the room, I'm going to play this waiting music because I don't want to start reading without you guys um, being in. So I'm going to throw some waiting music till I see a few more people come in. And the first song that was played with Miss Dyke and the Ross with Ain't No Mountain High Enough, followed by the Miss Jasmine Sullivan with Hurricane. And before I even begin to speak on anything else, I have to open up with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today with humble hearts seeking your guidance and blessings for the upcoming episode of Listen Linda Podcast titled, Just Me and My Mountains. I ask Lord for your divine presence to be with me as I share my personal journey, excerpts from my memoir and the poetry that I have written throughout the years. Lord, I pray that you would grant me clarity of mind and the ability to articulate my thoughts and experiences with grace and authenticity. May my words resonate with the listeners, touching their hearts and inspiring them to reflect on their own lives, Lord God. We ask for your anointing upon the songs that will be played during this episode. May the melodies uplift and encourage, deepening the emotional connection between the music and the story that is shared today. Let each song be a source of comfort, healing, motivation, and or fun for all who tune in. Father, I invite your Holy Spirit to move mightily through this live show. Open the lines of communication, allowing listeners to call in with questions, song requests, or simply just to chat with me. May be, may these interactions, Lord God, be filled with love, kindness, understanding, and fostering a sense of community and support. Lastly, Lord God, we lift up this upcoming memoir, Mountains can Rise With Our Earthquakes, Memoir of a Grown Girl. We pray that you would bless me, Lord God, abundantly. Granting me the strength and courage to share my story with vulnerability and authenticity. May my words touch the lives of the readers, bringing hope, healing, and encouragement. Lord, I thank you so much for this gift that you have given me of storytelling and the power it holds to inspire and transform others, Lord God. I trust in your guidance and provision as this podcast episode unfolds. In Jesus' name, we pray, Lord God. Amen. And now, thank everybody for tuning in. I appreciate everybody who's listening in, Mama Pat, Dr. Velma, good afternoon, Joan Jones, Carolyn Coleman, and Joe. I appreciate every single person who is tuning in today. Um, and yeah, I'm about to get ready and start reading, you guys. So here it goes. This is chapter two. It's called China and the story behind this this chapter of Mountain Can Rise Without Earthquakes is basically the um the story of my mom my mom's name is China that's her real nickname I didn't give her actual name in the book because I still wanted to kind of you know respect her privacy uh, but anybody who from Chicago Know China. They know who she is. So I'm going to go ahead and get started. My mama named China. And China was a wild one in 1982. She was a solid 16 years old, but she had hands like Ali and looked like the one and only Diana Ross. She was the coldest mammy jammy on the west side of Chicago. And everyone knew she wasn't to be messed with. China was what they call a fox, a brick house. Now, she didn't do the bell-bottom pants or the platform shoes. Instead, she rocked her hair curled and combed straight to the front in a mohawk style, bamboo earrings and four-finger rings, smooth chocolate skin, and a curvy little frame. Yeah, she was cold. But as cold as her looks was, so was her heart. See, China grew up in the streets her mom died from childbirth and although her daddy was a minister to everyone in the neighborhood he was just a jacked up daddy to her mainly because she looked so much like the woman he loved so much he beat her constantly to remind her just how much he loved her now ain't that a mess see china ran away at 12 years old to escape the constant beatings and unspeakable things her daddy did to her night after night the only way she knew how to cope was to hang out with the gds in the building down the block growing up on the west side of chicago in the 80s wasn't no joke man she had to be protected and the only way she knew how was to get initiated in now usually when a guy get initiated into a gang they either have to get jumped in or they got to unalive someone now, with females, it was different. They had to let the whole gang get some kitty cat. That didn't too much phase China though. She knew she was a cold piece, and she had already been broken in by her dad. So how hard could it be to let a few more dudes hit, especially if that meant she would be protected in the streets, get some work so she can keep money in her pocket, all the while getting what she never thought she had anyway which was a family and a place to call home. Now, China's partner in crime was a girl named Tessa. And she was a light-skinned girl who wasn't as pretty as China and was quite skinny. But she had an impeccable taste and style and was known as the neighborhood's go-to for boosting the latest fashion pieces. From Marshall Fields to Armani, Tommy Hilfiger, Lacoste, guess you name it, she had it for cheap. And China knew she had to befriend Tessa when she bumped into her at a party. Now Tessa was dating a guy named Jace, who introduced China to the head of the GDS, Rico, as a favor to Tessa. Now Rico was skeptical when he first met China, maybe because he knew she was younger than what she claimed to be. Rico appreciated honesty and loyalty above all else, and he didn't tolerate liars. He told China she had to be initiated into the gang, and even then, she would have to start from the bottom, doing grunt work until he believed she was ready for more significant tasks. China's response, that's cool. Tell me when and where so I can devour those fools and start making money. Rico admired her ambition and audacity. And as he looked at her, the sun illuminating her chocolate skin, he was reminded of Diana Ross, especially the night he took his wife to see her at the Paramount Theater in the world. Diana was performing Muscles from her Silk Electric album the same night he proposed to his wife, Carmen. That was a crazy yet beautiful night. Just like Diana. He wished she could have given that ring to Diana instead. So staring at China was the spitting image of Diana made him sweat. Yes, and that was Miss Diana Ross with Muscles from the Silk Electric album. So I guess we know what was going through Mr. Rico's mind when he met my mama, right? (laughs) Lord, fix it. (laughs) (laughs) So now I'm going to read a poem from the book. Um, and it's called, Why Does the Cage Phoenix Rise? Why Does the Cage Phoenix Rise? In the realm, in the realm of friendships loss, a tale unfolds. Of turmoil betray and mean girl clicks hold. Once filled with hope, laughter, and shared dreams. Now left broken adrift in silent screams. Oh, the pain of a bond shattered and broken. Leaving wounds that sting. Words left unspoken. In the cruel grip of clicks, I found no solace. Struggling through sadness, my heart in a shallows, Lost in depths of sorrows, endless embrace. I longed for connection, a warm loving space. But alas, my path seemed destined for strife as I navigated the trials of my own life. Marriage and motherhood came to claim my days, yet the pain of lost friendship never truly fades. With no family bond to lean on and find solace, I search for healing, for strength to embrace. But within the depths of my own being, I found a flicker of light, a whisper, a sound. For in darkness, I discovered my own worth, a resilience that would guide me forth no longer defined by the bonds that have been torn. I embrace my journey, tattered but reborn. Through the trials of heartache, I found my truth, a strength that emerged from my own roots. So dear friends, if you find yourself in this plight, know that healing awaits shining ever so bright. Embrace your own essence, find solace within. For the wounds may heal and new friendships will begin. In the tapestry of life, bonds may come and go, but your spirit remains ready to flourish and grow. For the face of turmoil, you'll find your way. And in depths of your heart, love will forever stay. And that was called, Why Does the Caged Phoenix Rise? And that is also one of the poems out of my book, Mountains Can't Rise Without Earthquakes. And that song, I mean, that um, poem really, you know, it, it speaks to me in such a way that at this point in my journey and in my life, I understand. Come on, Smokey.
2: Sometimes I feel like giving up It seems like my best just ain't good enough Lord, if you give me, I'm calling you Do you see, do you care all about what I'm going through? And then he said one more day, one more step. See, I'm preparing you for myself. And when you can't hear my voice, please trust my plan. I'm the Lord, I see, and yes, I understand. Sometimes I feel like I'm all alone I'm just like a stranger so far from home I feel like I've done all that I can do Please Lord give me strength. I'm just trying to make it through That's when he told I am the Lord, and I change it not. I won't forget, nor have I forgot. You see, everything works according to my plan. I am God, trust me, I got the whole world in my hands. Oh,
0: Yes, and that was Mr. Smoky Norfolk, where I understand. I am the Lord. I see you. And yes, I understand. And I am going to continue reading to you guys from Mountains Can't Rise Without Earthquakes. Um, And now I'm going to jump ahead. And I'm going to speak on um, the chapter called Blood Rivals. Now. This one I wrote, and I'm going to give you a brief overview of what happened before. So it was a chapter called Wolf in Sheep's Clothing. And that really, you know, it gave insight on a friendship that I had, that I had since the third grade. And it turned sour, and she betrayed me. And, you know, we were fighting. I was about 14 at the time. And so at this point, blood rivals, I am leaving um, her house um, after this big fight. And I'm completely distraught and heartbroken and I'm homeless at this point in my life. Um, So here it is. As the tears streamed down my face, I hastily gathered all my clothes on that fateful day when we had our big fight. Now, some of them were still wet because I was washing them in the washing machine at the time, while others had managed to dry. The weight of the argument hung heavy in the air as I resolved to leave. With a heavy heart, I embarked on a long journey, walking from her house to Miss Williams's place, a distance of about a mile or so. Chicago's bustling cityscape surrounded me, its towering buildings and bustling streets from the backdrop to my troubled emotions. Each step felt like a battle against the pain and confusion that had overwhelmed and engulfed me. Now, as I dragged my belongings through the park and up the block, the weight of my situation seemed to weigh me down even more than that bag, honey, because my mind raced with thoughts of uncertainty. But I pressed on, determined to reach Miss Williams' house, finally, after what felt like an eternity of walking. I arrived at her doorstep physically and emotionally drained and exhausted. I poured my heart out to Ms. Williams, recounting the events that had transpired and her reaction was one of righteous anger. You can stay here tonight and I will get in contact with your caseworker, she declared, her voice filled with determination. Her children, though not entirely agreeable, understood that that they had no say in the matter and reluctantly accepted my presence but they made it clear that though their mother favored me I was not in their favor and despite their mixed feelings I regarded Mrs. Williams as my mother figure refusing to let their indifference affect me at all I called her mom and treated her children as if they were my own siblings, regardless of their initial resistance. Their acceptance was not crucial to me, for in my heart, I had found a place to belong. The passing of time brought stability and comfort of routine. Two years went by, and as I turned 16, I took up a job at the McDonald's at Navy Pier, seeking independence and a sense of purpose. The city of Chicago continued to bustle around me with its vibrant neighborhoods, diverse cultures, and breathtaking skyline. It became the backdrop to my journey, reflecting both the challenges and hope that lay ahead. Now, missed the trials of my life, I found solace in the company of my biological sister, Destiny. At 15, she had an older boyfriend, and through him, I came to know Kevin, his brother. Kevin, a handsome man in his mid-20s, worked on the railroads and exuded a captivating charm. Destiny introduced us, and despite my initial resistance, we found ourselves drawn to each other. In an act of defiance, I made it clear to Kevin that I didn't need him for anything. I shared my real age, my academic achievements, and my job at the fast food chain, emphasizing that his presence wouldn't make or break me, child. But little did I know that our encounter would set a stage for a tumultuous connection that would shape my future. During that time, I was dating someone else, a 19-year-old landscaper named Rashid, who my foster mom's mother had introduced me to. But fate had other plans in store for me. On New Year's Eve, a battered Rashid Showed up at my doorstep. He was bruised and sending shockwaves through the entire family. Miss Williams concerned for my state safety to confirm Stan. you going to have to break up with him. He is living a dangerous life, she insisted. Her, ver- her voice filled with maternal concern. In defiance of her warning, I chose not to end things with Rashid formally. Instead, I just avoided his calls and started seeing Kevin, attracted to the excitement and mystery that he brought to my life dating an older man. Kevin and I began exploring the vibrant streets of Chicago together, immersing ourselves in the rich culture and music that filled the city's air. He went; he even went as far as buying me my first Keisha Cole CD, solidifying our connection. But Kevin, with his charming ways, couldn't resist indulging in his own desires. He considered me his main girl, but his actions spoke
2: otherwise.
1: First of all, let me say, you can't accuse me of all the things you know that you are guilty of. And I see that it is easy for you to blame everything on me. If that's the case, I should go have my fun and do all the things you say I do. boy, I can't continue to take this from you i cheating on you. you As much as you accuse me of cheating I might as well have I to you As much as you accuse me of lying I might, I as, might as well have I might as, I might as well As much as you accuse I me of lying well I might as, might as, well. as well have She did say I was out with somebody else When my girl told me she saw you with some girl But I didn't accuse you of something that I didn't see myself realize that I would never do anything to disrespect you Trust me, you gotta stop accusing me
0: that was Keisha Cole I should have cheated and I should have cheated on him but we 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 gonna kind of back up a little bit so I can give you guys a little bit more of the background of me okay so um at 13 years old I left my grandmother's house um I had been, um, sexually molested and, you know, um, physically and emotionally abused by, um, some adults in the house at the time. And, uh, all of that is inside the book. Um, but I want to get to, um, a chapter in the book that's actually entitled, um, Terror by Night. And, um. Let's just start there. March 4th, 2002 stands etched in my memory as the day my world shattered completely. I was torn away from everything familiar, forced into the cold embrace of an emergency shelter, a temporary haven between the life I once knew and the uncertain future that awaited me in a group home. The pain of separation from my 14-year-old sister, I mean, my 13-year-old sister, Destiny, and my father gnawed at my soul. But it seems as though their love had drifted away long before anyway. So before I left, I, I sought solace in the arms of Chico, my confidant, my true best friend, my dad. I whispered the truth into his sleeping ear, hoping that he would understand the depths of my torment. And in his eyes, I saw a flicker of recognition, a shared experience that mirrored my own. My father's past echoed through Chico's gaze, confirming the truth of my words. And in that moment, I realized that this darkness wasn't confined to just me alone. It has seeped into the very fabric of my family. My father, fueled by a father's love and a brother's betrayal, took matters into his own hands. He confronted my uncle, unleashing his fury upon the man who had shattered trust. Justice was served as my Uncle Chinks was sent to jail, but the scars he left upon our hearts would forever take far long to heal. My grandmother, burdened by guilt and shame, struggled to forgive me for exposing the truth, but forgiveness was not mine to seek. Her condemnation, her lies, only served to isolate me further from a family that had already cast me aside, yet as painful as it was, their rejection was no longer no longer held power over me. I had a singular focus, a determination to escape the confines of the group home and reclaim the love I believe awaited me with my man, and with an unwavering resolve. I embarked on my journey fueled by the conviction that I deserved a life free from the shadows of abuse and betrayal. The road ahead would be treacherous, but I would traverse it with every ounce of strength within me. By any means necessary, I will find my way back to him, back to my man, hoping that love would be the bomb to heal the wounds that had scarred my soul. On March eleventh, two thousand two, my fourteenth birthday, I found myself traveling to a new group home, St. Margaret, with Ayana. Now, Ayana was seventeen-year-old gangster lesbian on probation, and she was assigned to the same home. She was friends with my brother, Dirty Red, and she told she was told to look out for me. Now, despite her tough exterior. She became a protective older sister to me. However, my birthday was far from a celebration. And instead of spending the day with my boyfriend, Terrence, and my best friend, Mumu, I was on the bus to a new group home. On arrival, the girls at the St. Margaret were immediately hostile, assuming that Ayana and I were lovers due to her sexuality. And this led the staff to separate us, making my first day even worse harder. Later that day, one of the staff dropped my birthday cake on purpose. They used my past actions against me to justify their cruelty, saying that I didn't deserve a birthday cake due to my behavior with my grandmother. And when Yana came to my defense, we were both put on lockdown for a week. Now during the lockdown, I reflected on the previous week at the emergency shelter. I had been involved with a staff member there something i hadn't shared with anyone until now so you guys are hearing it firsthand yep the tea is coming from the horse's mouth like i told y'all before ain't nobody gonna tell my story better than i'm gonna tell it so here goes he was in his mid-20s and attractive and i was lonely and missing terrence what happened between us was consensual but it was still inappropriate and it was something i kept to myself the next day, the supervisor handed me a Catholic school uniform and informed me that I would be attending St. Margaret's School. And as a member of the Church of God in Christ, I was furious. I had no intention of going to a Catholic school, but my protest fell on deaf ears. In the end, I had no choice but to attend St. Margaret's School and wear the uniform. Ayanna and I stuck together, navigating this strange new world. Despite the staff's attempt to separate us and the Mean Girls' rumors, we still remained close. Through this journey, I learned that I could weather any storm with resilience and determination. I understood that, that despite the harshness of my circumstances, I could still choose to fight for my dignity and self-respect. And despite the uniform I wore, I knew my true identity lay within me, in my faith and in my strength. And that, I'm going to end that there and that is called that chapter was called um, I'm just going to play the song because that was uh, that was something the night I went through that night was it was something it was something and you know I kept getting this thing you know um, this um, this stigma about me, uh, because I was fast. You know, at fourteen years old, I was dating older guys. I was dating older men. I was doing what I wanted to do, and at that time, you know, I was looking for something. You know, but only a- the adults, you know, they only thought of me as a bad girl.
2: Showed up, up What'd he do? No. pimpin' Oh boy uh. What y'all know about a supermodel Fresh out of air magazine Buy her own bottles Look, pimp juice, i keep it warm Bad than a mother I Oh, nah I need a bad, nah. a bad girl If you're a bad girl oh Players, When you see me, act like you know me I keep a dollar worth of dime You know camping ain't easy For all my chicks in the club Who knows how to cut a rug If you're a bad girl, get at me bad girl oh, Work me baby,
1: shaking it the way I like I'm ready to be bad, I need a bad girl Ladies, coming home with me tonight. I'm ready to be bad. I need
2: a bad girl. Bad baby, get me, bad girl. Now I've seen a I lot love of broads, all own want to call, Everyone look the same, but take a look at my dame. My dame, she show she take that hypnotic all There ain't much more I can say, but I need, I need a bad. flow now, look at them bad girls moving it, making faces while they doing it, oh, I want to take one to the restroom, so close I'm smelling like your perfume, if you're a bad girl,
1: get me bad girl, oh, work me baby, shaking yeah. it in the way I like, I'm ready to, to be, be back. bad. I need a bad girl, Say.
3: See you ladies Coming home with me tonight I'm ready to be back I need a bag
0: Yes, that's all they saw me as, y'all, was a bad girl, a bad girl, and, you know, a lot of times, you know, people, they they judge a book by its cover, and, you know, I've learned to never do that because you never know the roads that people have, you know, walked and the journey that they have encountered, you know, like, you never know what somebody has been through. So this poem I wrote is called Jackie baby. It'll be okay. And I wrote this to my younger self. Oh, Jacqueline, my dear younger self, let me hold your gaze. In this mirror, I see the beauty of your youthful days. And as I speak to you, I want you to know that I love you deeply as you continue to grow. In your eyes I see, A world of endless possibilities, a heart filled with dreams, hopes, and sweet melodies. You may feel uncertain, unsure of what lies ahead, but trust me, my dear, you have nothing to dread. You are deserving of love, affection, and care, so don't let doubt or insecurity linger in the air. Embrace your imperfections, they make you unique, for it's through self-love that true happiness you'll seek. I know there are times when life feels overwhelming, when storms of doubt and fear keep on rumbling. But have faith in yourself, my younger self, so true. Believe in your strength, for it will guide you through. You are resilient, Jackie, a fighter with grace. With each obstacle you face, you'll find your rightful place. Remember, it's okay to stumble and fall, for through these moments that you'll rise tall. I want you to know that you are enough with all your quirks, your passion, and your stuff. No need to seek validations from others' eyes. The love you have for yourself is the ultimate prize. So my dear Jacqueline, in this mirror we stand, I reach out to you with an outstretched hand. Let's love ourselves deeply as we journey through time. Together we'll conquer mountains and rise above the climb. And in this, in, in this reflection, I see the strength in your soul. A reminder that self-love is the ultimate goal. Embrace your worth. Believe in your power. For with you, my dear, lies a love that will never sour. So take my words to heart. My younger self, I say, I love you deeply each and every day. You are beautiful, Jackie, in every single way. And remember, my dear, that it's going to be okay. And that is called Jackie, Baby, It's Going to Be Okay. And that is another poem from the book entitled Mountains Can't Rise Without Earthquakes. And that reminds me of another Keisha Cole song called Just Like You. Um, And I'm going to play that one right now for you
3: guys.
1: Lose what I can to prove is everything I expect myself to be, and I'm gonna do. Trying to live my life and take care of mine. Look inside of me and see just who's inside of me and know who I knew was me. Oh, it took so much for me just to see it's all in me. You can never understand uh, how I feel when I'm searching for the words to say. the Lord my strength which teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight through it all he's protected me along the way and I want to thank you because without you I'm nothing I'm just like
0: Yes, that was Keisha Cole, Just Like You. Oh, my goodness, that song resonated with me so much. Now, I'm going to get back to um, the story. And um, this part of the story, this part of the chapter, um, is called Terror by Night. Please stay, Ayana pleaded. Her voice filled with genuine concern. You only have to stay here for two more weeks. What will you do when I'm not here? They're waiting for you to be alone, to harm you. We shared a bittersweet laugh, understanding the dangers that loomed over me once Bayana was gone. She handed me some money, a lifeline to help me navigate the uncertain path that lay ahead for me. It was around $300. That was a small fortune that held the promise of a new beginning to me, child. Now, leaving Ayana's room, the scent of lavender fading into the distance, I couldn't shake the feeling of of loss that enveloped me. I knew deep down that our paths were diverging and the pain of leaving her behind tugged at my heart. That night, driven by a desperate longing for freedom, I made the decision to run away from the group home with two other girls from the facility. Sneaking out through the side door, the blaring alarm pierced the quiet night. We vaulted over the gate. Our hearts pounded with both fear and determination, leaving everything behind. I clung to the hope that my meager savings would carry me to safety, to the arms of my man who promised to take care of me. We traveled on a treacherous journey, hitchhiking towards the city, hoping that fate would guide us towards a better future. Now, a nerdy looking man pulled up beside us, concern etched on his face as he questioned our presence on the dark streets late at night. His offer to help, coupled with his seemingly harmless demeanor, prompted us to accept his offer of a ride. As we settled into the car, the music playing and the scent of marijuana filling the air A sense of unease washed over me. My instincts kicked in, reminding me to stay vigilant, to be aware of my surroundings. Or as like Chico would say, keep your head on a swivel. It was then that I realized we were headed in the wrong direction, away from safety, towards anger. Panic, the man's demeanor shifted, and his nervousness was basically undeniable. He grabbed one of the girls in the front seat, brandishing a knife, his intention chillingly clear. You fast-ass girls are going to give me some head and then I'm going to take you back where I found you, he threatened, his voice trembling. In that moment, adrenaline coursing through our veins. He must not know he got some fighting girls in this car. The girl in the back seat swiftly wrapped a scarf around his neck, and started choking him. Chaos ensued in that car as he stabbed the girl in the front seat with the knife. Her agonizing scream pierced the night. We seized the
3: opportunity
0: to escape, fleeing from the car, fear pushing us forward. Running for our lives, we managed to remove the knife from the girl's leg, using the scarf to stem the bleed. Spotting a payphone, I quickly dialed 9 one urgently pushing through the panic to explain the situation. Once the ambulance arrived, taking the injured girl away, her silent understanding of our escape fueling her compliance with our fabricated story that we were late getting home and we had to hurry back. With the Green Line train in sight, a glimmer of hope ignited within me. I boarded the train relief washing over me like a warm embrace. My destination to Mumu's house, it was a sanctuary where I hoped to find solace and most of all, support. As Mumu whispered those painful words in the hallway, my world seemed to crumble around me. The image of Terrence with his ex-girlfriend, Jessica, pierced through my heart. Like a thousand shards of glass. The disbelief and betrayal washed over me, threatening to drown me in a sea of hurt. Stop playing with me, I murmured, desperately hoping that Mumu was joking. But the look in her eyes told me everything I needed to know. My mind raced. I was trying to make sense of the situation. How could Terrence betray me like this? How could He had been with Jessica all along, even before I left my grandma's house. The weight of the truth settled on my shoulders, crushing the dreams and hopes I had built around our relationship. The tears welled up in my 14-year-old eyes, blurring my vision as the pain threatened to console me. Every moment we shared, every promise of love and loyalty shattered into a thousand Irreparable pieces. It felt as if my heart had been ripped from my chest, leaving a void that seemed insurmountable. Terrence was the reason I veered off the right path. I used to be a straight A student. I never smoked weed or drink or left my grandmother's house without permission. The catalyst for my reckless behavior. And now he had shown his true colors. The realization hit me like a tidal wave. I had risked everything, sacrificed my family and my stability, all for the love I believed Terrence had for me. But now, in this moment of heartbreak, it became painfully clear that my world had been turned upside down by a grown ass man who didn't truly understand the magnitude of what his actions had truly done to my 14 year old life. My friend's tears mirrored my own, her heart aching as she witnessed the devastation in my eyes. We sat together in that hallway, the weight of our shared pain hanging heavily in the air. In that moment, I made a silent vow to myself. No man would have the power to break me like this again. This heartbreak would be the catalyst for my transformation. That fuel ignited a fire within me. Drying my tears, I straightened my posture and defiantly declared, he just broke the wrong heart. The pain transformed into determination, and I felt a surge of strength coursing through my veins. It was game time. I would pick up the shattered pieces of my heart and rebuild stronger than before. No longer would I allow anyone to define my worth or dictate my happiness. With a newfound resolve, I stepped back into that apartment, ready to face them head on. This heartbreak would be the turning point, the catalyst for my growth. I would rise from the ashes of this broken love, honey, stronger, wiser, and ready to reclaim my life. And at that time, I looked them dead in the eyes, and I said, game time, bitches. Yes, yes, yes. And that was Keisha Cole, Love. And now I'm going to read a poem that I wrote called Broken Friendships. In the depths of lost friendships, a tale unravels. A journey through turmoil where pain truly travels. Betrayals bitter sting from mean girl cliques rain. Leaving scars and wounds deepened by disdain. Once bound by trust, laughter, and shared delight, now left shattered, broken, and consumed by the night. A heart left heavy, burdened by sorrow's weight, yearning for solace, a reprieve from this fate. But in the midst of despair, a glimmer remains, a flicker of strength refusing to wane, for deep within the shadows, resilience is found, a flame that burns brightly, unyielding, unbound. Lost amidst the whirlwinds of marriage and motherhood, struggling to reconcile the pain misunderstood. No family bond to lean on, no shoulder to cry, yet within that emptiness, strength begins to rise. Resolute, I navigated the depths of my own soul, searching for fragments that could make me whole. In the crucible of darkness, I discovered my worth, a spirit unbreakable, resilient since birth. For the trials that beset me were but stepping stones leading me towards growth where wisdom is sown no longer defined by the friendship I've lost I've embraced my own essence no matter the cost deep within the recesses of my being I found a wellspring of strength a resilience profound with every scar that adorned my wounded heart I reclaimed my power refusing to fall apart so, dear friends, as you navigate this abyss, know that within you lies immeasurable bliss. Embrace the pain, the heartache, and strife, for it is from these depths that you reclaim your life. Dig deeper still into the depths of your core, uncovering the strength that lies at your very core. From the ashes of betrayal, rise in the sin, for it is your healing journey, true freedom begins. But your essence remains a light that will glow. With each step forward, friendship may come and go, but you'll find your way, embracing the darkness as you step into the fray. So dive into the depths with courage and might for within your soul lies an eternal light. And from the turmoil and strife, That once held you tight You'll emerge stronger Wiser and shining Oh so very bright That's another poem From mountains can't rise without earthquakes My little superstars
2: This goes out to you You My number one I won't stop until I see you sugar You know who you are I see you so many shots, wherever I go, I'm gonna keep on looking, yeah, looking one, all of this goes out to you, baby, wherever my you only are, one. just you know, know that you're mine, one, yeah, why you there, I can't
0: Yes, 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 and that was Usher with superstar and i'm a I'm gonna play another one too, just because you know I just gotta let you guys know you can't give up now. Mm-hmm. Yes, I just can't give up now. I come too far from where I started from. Nobody told me the road would be easy and I know he did not bring me this far to leave me. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah for that word. Um and now I'm gonna get back into the story. I'm I'm not giving y'all everything. I know y'all think I'm giving y'all everything, but I'm really not. I'm skipping and picking and choosing. Um, but I really want to get into this part of the story. And you know, I just got done telling y'all about how me and the girl in the in the book Moo we have been friends and you know, she was there for me and she considered us, you know, ourselves as sisters. Um, and usually, you know, um I, I, I don't know why, but, you know, I choose to believe all the wrong people. You know, when it comes to a Pisces or somebody like me with a kind heart, you know, we always give people the benefit of the doubt, you know, even when they don't deserve it, right? And so that's how I've been most of my life. And um, it's come to bite me quite a few times, actually. So I want to get into this portion of wolves and sheep's clothing. From uh, Mountains Can't Rise With Our Earthquakes, Memoirs of a Grown Girl. Me and Mumu had been friends since the third grade. When we met for a second time in the sixth grade, we were actually about to fight. She had bathroom issues and would unintentionally go on herself to be and be too humiliated to clean herself. So she would just walk around smelling like poop all day. One day, I decided to call her out on it. We were about to fight outside. Now, she was twice my size, so I was horrified, but I didn't show it. The relief, oh my goodness, the relief I, I had when I saw Miss Williams come out and save the day was unspeakable. And once Miss Williams squashed the beef, we became so tight, nothing or no one could break us apart. But all that changed when we got into high school and we went to two different schools. Originally, we were supposed to go to the same high school, which was Marshall. But my dad's new wife, Stephanie, transferred me to the same school as her daughters, Deidre and Pam. Now, I ain't gonna lie. I was glad. I didn't want to go to Marshall because everybody in the neighborhood went there. Everybody I went to Faraday with and the 8th grade was there. Everybody in the buildings was there. And I just didn't want to go there. I was always used to going to different schools than the ones in my neighborhood. I always wanted to meet different people. So when I found out I would be going to Dunbar on the south side of Chicago, I was anxious and nervous, but I felt like I would be okay because my sisters would be there. Boy, was I wrong. The first week at my new school was cool. I met new friends, the work was easy, and the teachers were nice. But it was the trouble at home that I didn't see coming. I'm missing $100 from my envelope, and I know I didn't spend it. So I'm trying to figure out where it is, I said. My voice teemed with confusion and frustration. Right then, one of the girls started laughing hysterically her laughter piercing through the air like sharp daggers. Did you say she was dumb? Or was it that you said she was scary? She taunted, her words laced with malicious intent. The sound of her laugh, laughter echoed in my ear, intensifying my growing anger. My heart pounded in my chest as I mustered the courage to confront her. Come again? I demanded. My voice now laced with aggression. The room felt silent, tension crackling in the air. Girl, she ain't gonna bust a cherry in a fruit fight, Mumu interjected, trying to defuse the escalating situation. Fool, can't you see I spent your money? You gotta pay me rent to live in my room, you homeless bum, Mumu confessed. Her words hitting me like a sucker punch to the gut. The betrayal cut deep, leaving me feeling wounded and vulnerable. Confusion clouded my mind as I struggled to comprehend her sudden animosity towards me. Now, where is all this coming from? What did I do to you? I pleaded, the hurt evident in my voice. I felt the weight of our history, the years of friendship and shared experience. Crashing down on me like a ton of bricks. Now you tough because you got new friends. Now you got some courage. Enough that you think you could steal from me. Your friend, your sister, who's been here way longer than any of these newbies? I exclaimed, my voice trembling with a mix of anger, sadness, and just pure disbelief. The betrayal stung, piercing my soul like a thousand needles. My house, my rules, she retorted. Her words dripping with a cold, callous demeanor. In that moment, a surge of emotions overwhelmed me. I couldn't control the anger, hurt, and sense of betrayal that had been building within me. A red haze descended over my vision as I lashed out, my fist connecting with her face. The satisfaction of each punch fueled my rage, the physical blows echoing the emotional pain I felt inside. It was as if my fist were the physical manifestation of all the hurt pain, and betrayal that I had endured throughout my life, culminating in this single moment. And as the fight escalated, her new friends attempted to intervene, but their efforts was futile. The adrenaline coursing through my veins gave me an unexpected strength, overpowering anyone who dared to stand in my way. Each punch I landed felt like a release, a cathartic outlet for the overwhelming emotions that consumed me. The lines between friendship and faux blurred, and in that moment, I felt both a sense of liberation and a crushing weight of guilt. Through the haze of the brawl, I couldn't help but feel a profound sense of loss. The realization that that someone I consider a sister, someone I trusted implicitly, had turned against me and exposed my deepest secrets. That cut me to the core. It shattered my perception of friendship and loyalty, leaving me to grapple with the harsh reality that people we hold closest to our hearts Can sometimes be the ones who hurt us the most, and she became just like all the others a wolf in sheep's
3: clothing.
4: Yeah, yeah, y'all know me, you know, like I know. Yeah, yeah, y'all know me I done been alone since I've been me Then we turned friends to a family Tell me why it feels like we enemies now Everybody getting hard feelings Everybody wanna tell secrets Somebody should've told me Need to take three See, I grew up stealing in Pittsburgh Mama died young, so I been learned I remember when they came and got my sister I told them I would kill just to get her I really kept my word, I got some on back. Pulled up to the A, got a life on track. How you let a man take your mind off that? How you talking about me behind my back? I guess killing for you ain't enough, cause water is thicker than blood. I remember I was there for you, bitches. I remember I was down for you, bitches. Yeah, when nobody cared for you, bitches. I remember I was there for you, bitches. shake the drink who was with you through the pain when they took your homie's life say who held you when you cried? No, it wasn't for the music. It wasn't for the same. That dad was for real, but you won't say my name. Well, I sing your name. See no books that was bank. That was my hand, by the way. For you get mad. I had it before Miss Crank, but she didn't know it was me. I told her the truth, but she ain't care. You know she got a man at home in a wheelchair. You took it too far. Let me remind you who you are. Since everybody wanna hate star. I remember I was there when you bitch. I remember I was down for you, bitches. Yeah. When nobody cared for you, bitches. I remember I was there for you, bitches. Yeah. You know like I know, you know like I know, you know like I know, baby. You know like I know, you know like I know, you know like I know, baby. Y'all know me. Yeah, yeah. Y'all know me. Since you wanna go solo.
0: Yes, 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 and that right there is just a story of betrayal. Um, another story of betrayal, and that one was from um, the the um, a season of Star on um, Fox, um, and the girl' name is Jude Demorest, and she was singing this song called "There for You," and it just told the story of how her friends, and her sister, actually, Um, she went and killed somebody for her sister and rescued her from being molested and abused. And um, they came and they started this singing group and the whole group just turned their back on her and just betrayed her out of nowhere. And when she started taking up for herself, you know, everybody was against her. And it resonated with me because it's like, I was there for you. And you supposed to be there for me. And we supposed to be sisters. But now I'm getting betrayed. And it just, it, it, I really resonated with that um, so much. And um, I want to read another poem that I wrote. Um, and it's called, I Love You, Me. Oh, Jacqueline Cox, a love poem for you. A celebration of self, a love that rings true. In the mirror, behold, a beautiful soul, a spirit so radiant, making the world whole. Your eyes like sparkling jewels, deep and bright, reflecting the wisdom gained through life's flight. With each passing day, you grow and evolve, unfolding your essence, a puzzle to solve. Your smile filled with so much joy and delight, bringing warmth and comfort, casting away the night. It lights up the room, spread love far and wide, a testament to the beauty you hold inside. Your laughter, a melody, sweet and pure, a symphony of happiness forever endures. It dances on the wind like a gentle breeze, leaving And lifting spirits, soothing hearts with ease. In your heart, a garden of love does bloom. Nurtured by self care, it banishes gloom. You tend to your soul with kindness and care, embracing your worth, knowing you're rare. You've weathered storms, honey, faced challenges so bold, yet found strength within, you never fold. Your resilience shines a guiding light, inspiring others to stand and fight. Oh, Jacqueline Cox, embrace your worth, for you are a treasure, a gift to this earth. Your love yourself fiercely with all that you are and watch as your light illuminates near and far. So celebrate the beauty that lies within. Embrace your uniqueness and let self-love begin. You are deserving of love from yourself and more. For you, dear Jacqueline, are worth it all and more. And that was another poem from Mountains. And with that, I got to play this one.
1: I don't know what to do Now what if I choose The wrong thing to do I'm so afraid Afraid of disappointing you So I need to talk to you And ask you for your guidance Especially t-
0: That was Yolanda Adams, Will opened up my heart. And as I read this chapter, I'm asking for my warriors, because this one is a rough one. And the chapter, the name of this chapter is called Daddy's Girl in a Cold World. But life had to go on. I reconnected with my old friend, Mumu. We had been friends since the third grade. And although we had our differences, we were like sisters. So I didn't want to give up on our friendship. One day as we walked down Kedzie, a new model Impala pulled up. It was Kane. A boy I knew from my past. He had grown into a handsome man. He offered us a ride home, promising not to try anything. I was skeptical, remembering a similar line from a guy who had tried to attack me and some other girls from the group home when I was 14 years old. But Kane's charm and good looks persuaded me. As he dropped us at home, he asked me out, his diamond earrings twinkling in the dim light. He was short, shorter than most, but he was cool and I was single and unattached. So I responded, just chirp me. I gave him my next tail chirp and he gave me his. That simple act marked the beginning of an erupting volcano that I was surely not prepared for. We had a seemingly good relationship for about seven months. At that time, my life was on the cusp of change. I had just moved into my own place. I was about to graduate high school and my foster mom, who I consider super cool, supported me. Every step of the way. Being 18, I saw myself as an adult ready to take on the world. Kane's family welcomed me with open arms. His mother, Carmen, genuinely liked me, while his father, Rico, had a peculiar but cool demeanor. I never told Kane about my troubled family background, but I sensed that his dad had an inkling. He often probed me with questions about my family, mentioned, mentioning that I looked familiar to him. It wasn't until after high school, however, that everything changed. Once I became pregnant with Kane's child, the entire demeanor shifted. The person I fell in love with seemed to vanish, replaced by someone controlling and territorial. I found myself having to move back in with my foster parents because I couldn't maintain employment while dealing with the emotional turmoil. Eventually, I managed to secure a paid internship with the Department of Family and Support Services, working both at the front desk and behind the scenes under Vanessa Rich. The job provided some financial stability, and I would Willingly contributed to help Kane. However, he always seemed to have excuses for not sharing the profits. Whether he claimed that the police confiscated the money during a traffic stop or that he lost it in a dice game, I knew deep down that he was lying. But questioning him was just out of the question. I would never risk it. Kane had already been physically abusive towards me, though he never resorted to punching me. Instead, he'd often resort to smacking me or violently throwing me to the ground. I suspected that he refrained from punching me because he feared the visible marks on my light complexion would expose his actions. Knowing that we had a baby on the way, I lived in constant fear and terror. I feared that if Cain didn't harm me, he would eventually hurt our child with his volatile temperament. Witnessing the destructive patterns my parents endured, as well as my father's struggles with other women, I desperately wanted to break free from that cycle. I refused to subject myself or my unborn child to such a life. One day, while Kane and I were together, we stopped at a gas station to refuel. And as he pumped the gas, his phone rang. It was another girl calling. But I never felt threatened by other women. So answering the phone, the girls questioned my identity, to which I firmly replied that it was none of her business and that Kane was busy at the moment. Kane witnessed my conversation and threw a snid remark through the window at me, attempting to undermine me. Little did he know. His words held no power over me, honey. I hung up on that girl as she yelled. Loudly through the phone, because one thing I know, and two things for sure, I got the power to hit the end button over here. Okay, so when Kane returned to the car, he asked, Who called one of your little things? I responded nonchalantly. His face twisted with anger as he sneered, So now you're jealous? In response, I erupted in to uncontrollable laughter tears streamed down my face as i found his accusations utterly absurd absolutely not i managed to gasp between fits of laughter i wouldn't care if you were with every chick in chicago it wouldn't matter to me one bit i don't want you my laughter filled the car but little did i know It would trigger a terrifying sequence of events. Kane's rage ignited instantly, and before I could even utter a response, he clenched my ponytail tightly around his fist, violently yanking me across the seats and out of the driver's side door. He began kicking me relentlessly, targeting my face, my stomach, and even stomping on my head. We were on a desolate back road with no cars in sight, nor any nearby houses. I screamed to the top of my lungs, hoping someone, anyone, would hear me and intervene. Bitch, I'm sick of your lies. Do not Do you think this is a game? Do you think you could just mess with other guys? Kane's voice seethed with anger. I couldn't understand where he got that idea from, that I had been unfaithful. From the moment we started dating, my world revolved around him. When I wasn't by his side, I was either at home with my foster mom or at one of his family members' houses awaiting his arrival. Desperate for the assault to end, I pleaded for him to stop. But Cain showed no signs of relenting. I bet you that's not even my baby. So whoever baby it is, it's going to die today. In that moment of sheer terror, I just closed my eyes tightly and silently prayed to God for help. I pleaded for him to intervene and protect me from this horrific ordeal. Suddenly, a car appeared on the road. A lady and her young son, no older than 12, noticed the commotion and immediately stopped their car. Without hesitation, they leaped out and rushed to my aid. The sight of them filled me with a glimmer of hope. Perhaps God had heard my desperate plea. Cain, realizing he was outnumbered, quickly jumped into his car and sped away, leaving me battered and bleeding. The kind-hearted woman, shocked and concerned, immediately took me to the hospital. Her young son, overwhelmed by the brutality he had just witnessed, broke down in tears. Their compassion and intervention reaffirmed my faith that there were still good people in the world and that I was not alone. At the hospital, it became clear that the consequences of Cain's violent outburst were severe. The physical damage was apparent, but the emotional scars ran deep. Tragically, I also discovered that I lost the baby I had been carrying for 11 weeks. The pain of that loss compounded the already overwhelming sense of devastation I felt. And as I lay in the hospital bed, broken and shattered, I couldn't help but wonder where my father was during all of this. Deep down, I knew I needed to reach him. He had always been a pillar of strength, and I believe he would know what to do and say. I long for his guidance and protection in this dark time. Despite the physical and emotional pain I was enduring, I found a new determination began to grow within me. I was no longer willing to accept abuse or live in fear. I knew I had to find my father to seek solace in his presence and find strength to break free from the toxic cycle I had found myself trapped in yet again. With a renewed sense of purpose, I made a vow to myself and to the child I had lost. I will not allow their suffering to be in vain. I will fight for justice, healing, and for a better future. And as I lay there longing for my father's presence, I whispered in the empty room, Where are you, Daddy? I need you more
3: now than I ever did.
1: A sarcastic smile, suspense now raised one up in your eyebrows. You ask me if there's someone else. I replied, Yes, hell yeah. You ask me if it's another man. I say. No. You laugh and say, Is it a woman? I say. Surprisingly. Though I haven't been
0: We'll conclude this episode of Listen Linda. Um, I'm your host, Jacqueline Cox. You can find me on Facebook. I'm putting it in the chat now under Jacqueline Cox with two eyes. If you would like to pre order Mountains Can Rise Without Earthquakes, everything is on my Facebook page because, as you all know, we can't put websites in the chat but you can find the book to pre-order at www.youngsaveleaders.myshopify.com or you can go to facebook the link is there on my page i also am a co-author in the upcoming anthology she said yes to herself unapologetically you can also pre-order your copy of that book that tells my story um that goes more to depth of just loving yourself there's some poetry in there and some self-care tips as well you can find that on the website as well Um, if you would like to promote your book your brand your business on my show that's streamed and over On over 40 podcast platforms in over eight countries worldwide. Inbox me, send me a message on Facebook, on Instagram. My Instagram name is spiritualsunbeam2020. I'm on LinkedIn as well as Jacqueline Cox. Um, It's been a pleasure uh, to have you guys here today um, to listen to some excerpts from my new book listen to some poetry and just jam with your girl cuz I've been on the road with the songs now. I've been on the road. I but I, I I thank you guys for understanding the genre of music that has been played tonight although it's not all clean. It's a part of my story and I just thank everyone for tuning in and I'm going to end in prayer and with song as usual. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to the end of this episode of the Listen Linda podcast, we thank you for the opportunity to share my story, music, and moments of reflection. I am grateful for the connections made, the hearts touched, and the lives impacted through my platform that you have so graciously given me. God, Lord, I ask that you continue to bless the listeners, and me as well as i use my voice to uplift and inspire may i always remember the importance of authenticity vulnerability and compassion in my storytelling i cannot ask guests to come on my show and unpack their truth if i'm not willing to do it myself father so grant me wisdom, and discernment as I plan my future episodes seeking to bring hope, healing, and encouragement to all who listen, Father. God, I thank you for the listeners who tuned in today, whether live or through this recording. I pray that the words spoken, the music played, and the stories that I've shared with them would resonate deeply within their hearts, bring them comfort, inspiration, and a renewed sense of purpose, but also a re- renewed and refound sense of who I am because I've given full transparency in my story. Father, I ask that you extend your love and grace to each person who participated in the episode, including guests, callers, and those involved behind the scenes. May they be reminded of the impact that they have made and the importance of their contributions to my podcast. And as I conclude, I surrender this show and all of its future episodes into your hands, God. May it continue to be a source of light hope and encouragement in a world that often feels dark and uncertain guide me father as the host the guests and the listeners as they navigate their own journeys reminding them that they are never alone in the precious name of jesus we pray father amen and that concludes this episode you guys Of listen linda i'm going to end you in this with a few songs so you can hold on and listen to. Um And thank you guys so much for tuning in. Good night.